be here with you today. As Kyle said, my name's Tom Marabella. Um, I'm an MTW missionary. Uh, my family serves in Chiba, Japan, which is part of the Tokyo metro area. Um, we're back in the U.S. for about nine months right now on our home mission assignment and um, mostly visiting uh, our, our supporting churches and reporting back. Um, we'll be here, uh, I guess also as Kyle said, for the, the missions conference this month. So we're looking forward to having the chance uh, to share with you guys about uh, the ministry in Japan. Um, it's a joy to be here. Um, you know, uh, Kyle and Essen are both uh, dear friends of mine. As Kyle said, we were in, in college together. I remember when I met Kyle uh, the first time in college, I thought he was someone's younger brother who had come to visit um, him. And uh, Kyle's, you know, he's like, hi, I'm Kyle Kochler. And, and uh, then I, he said, I'm a student. And then the next time I met him, he said, hi, I'm Kyle Kochler. And the next time I met him, he said, hi, I'm Kyle Kochler. And I said, I know who you are. You don't need to keep introducing yourself to me. Yeah. But uh, he, we, uh, we lived together uh, our senior year and then actually after, after college as well. And then Essen, um, he uh, had gone to seminary and come back to the area. He was serving at uh, a covenant church when we were there. And um, it's funny um, my wife and I had, were, were sort of dating long distance. I had gone down to Texas for a year. And um, we, uh, things were kind of over. And I was like, because I told her, I'm going to come back to Harrisonburg and, and we'll pursue things. And then at some point I kind of said, maybe I'm not coming back. And, uh, and Essen called me and asked me to come help uh, start an evangelism program at Covenant. And so I decided to come. And so we got married. Um, and so uh, I credit Essen partially for that. And then he actually performed our wedding. We were his first wedding uh, almost 25 years ago. Um, so I'm thankful for, for him and for the opportunities he's given me uh, in ministry. I think one of the first times I got to preach at a church was when Essen invited me to come preach. And uh, he said, he gave me this passage in Acts to preach from, and I looked it up, and it said, um, and Judas hung himself, and then his bowels burst open. <laughs> and I was like, this is a joke. And I, I, as I called him, I was like, you're joking, right? He's like, no, that's the, that's the next passage. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to preach on that, uh, on that passage. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, it's good to be here. We did, Karen and I got to lead worship uh, a couple weeks ago, so that was fun also to be here with you guys. Um, we just live up in Bridgewater um, for this time, so we're close by, and um, it's, it's nice to be able to come visit you guys. So today's message is, um, it's part of a series looking in the letter to the Philippians. Um, the series is called Joy for the World. And uh, Paul uses some form of the word joy or rejoice 16 times in this, in this short letter. So it's a, it's a really big theme. Um, in, in fact, he, he says that seeing, um, uh, that, that, uh, he talks about the, the joy he experiences when he sees um, Christian unity in this passage. Um, and in fact, he says, he says that Christian unity completes his joy. So it's kind of like it's the, it's the fulfillment of his joy. 
Um, so my, my prayer for us is that we um, would have that same joy as we experience Christian unity. Um, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Um, and I would ask you to stand, uh, if you're able, to honor the Word of God. Um, I hope that, uh, that everything that I say today is a reflection of God's truth. Um, but this, these words of Scripture are His truth. So please listen now to the Word of the Lord, starting in Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Uh, would you bless it now? Um, bless the preaching of your word. Father, pray your Holy Spirit be working in all of our hearts, applying your gospel, helping us to understand. And uh, Father, um, just be with us and be glorified in this time now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, so, uh, I'm a team leader for our uh, group of missionaries in Chiba, Japan, and so I've been thinking a lot about um, leadership and team building recently. Um, I've read several books on the subject. Um, well, I've listened to several books on the subject. I never know what verb to use uh, when you listen to a, a, an audio book. Um, so I, I've consumed these books, or I've, I've learned from them, um, but I have these books on leadership and team building, and one book is called um, The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. Um, he's, you may be familiar with him, he's kind of a guru of um, uh, these leadership books that he, that he writes. Um, it's not a Christian book, but I, I believe that Lencioni is a Christian, um, and he says that the very best teammates have three characteristics. They're humble, hungry, and smart. Now, what does he mean um, by these? Um, well, smart, what he really means is they have people skills. Um, in Japan, uh, we would talk about whether or not people are able to read the air. Um, Japan's a, a high-context culture. Um, what people are saying isn't always what they mean. Um, so you need to kind of understand the underlying um, message there. And so th this is, it's the ability to pick up on subtle things like moods and body language, nonverbal communication, um, the things that are being said, the things that aren't being said. It's the opposite of someone who is clueless in social situations. Hungry means having a passion uh, to work, being very self-motivated, self-starter driven, 
not lazy. And those two uh, are very important, but he says the most important of the three is humility. He says if you have someone who is humble and smart, but not hungry, he calls that the lovable slacker, right? So it's a person that they're they're nice to work with, they're, they're nice people, but they just don't get a lot done. Um, maybe a bit of a pro- procrastinator. Um, I have to be honest, Essen asked me to get my outline and a bunch of stuff in on Monday this week, and I was like, mm, it's not done on Monday, and he wrote me on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, and they're like, you got to send this stuff in. So I finally sent it in. Maybe I'm like the lovable slacker. I don't know. I don't know if I'm lovable or not. But, um, but someone like that, you know, they, they don't get a lot done, but they, they're not like a, a bad person to work with necessarily. But someone who's humble and hungry but not smart, he calls that the accidental mess maker. So this is the person who, they're really genuine and they, and they really try hard, but sometimes they, they, they just, it's like, <laughs> why did you do that? You know, like um, they, they maybe do things that are cringy or, or they just, they kind of make social mistakes. They, they don't pick up on, on things they should. But a person who's hungry and smart, but not humble, he calls that the skillful politician. And because they're hungry and smart, they're good at appearing humble as well. But these people, are, are, they're cleverly ambitious, they're willing to work extremely hard, but only in as much as it will benefit them personally. And by the time the leader kind of sees what's going on, the politician may have created a, t- a trail of destruction around them. So he says that humility is the most important virtue to seek when you're hiring someone for your team. Now, why am I talking about humility, right? The sermon title is The Joy of Christian Unity. But what you'll see in this passage is that humility is really the key to that unity. And we can break down this passage into really four main parts. You got verses one and two, which is Paul's request to complete his joy through this unity. Verses 3 and 4, where Paul calls, uh, he calls them to and he explains humility. Then verse 5 is a transition that leads us into the next section, which is verses 6 through 11, which is really one unit, but we can look at it in two parts. Uh, 6 to 8, where he talks about Christ's humility, and then 9 to 11, where he explains Christ's exaltation. So let's look first at um, verses 1 and 2. And Paul makes uh, an if-then statement. Right? You know what that is, right? So if this is true, then this, right? Um, So he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Um, it's, a, it's an if statement, but it's actually rhetorical. Um, is there any encouragement in Christ? <laughs> of course. You know, is there any comfort from his love? Of course. That word uh, for participation in the Spirit, it's the Greek koinonia, which you've probably heard before. We often translate it as fellowship. You know, is there any participation, fellowship, involvement of the Holy Spirit in your life? Again, of course. 
Are you experiencing the affection and sympathy of Christ? Really, Paul is saying it's not so much if as it is because. Because these things are true. Because the encouragement, comfort, and fellowship, affection, and sympathy you found in Christ, here is what you should do. When I was in seminary, they taught us um, what they called the indicatives and the imperatives. So indicatives are the statements of what is true, and the imperatives are the commands or the instructions. So it's what is true and what to do. If you flip those, you have a transaction. And in religion, you have legalism. Do this, and then this will be true. Right? If you get the answer right, you'll pass the test. If you give me what I want, I will love you. If you follow the rules, you'll be rewarded. Now, this is how much of life works, right? This is the real world, um, but that's not the gospel. The gospel says God loves you. Jesus died for you. The riches of heaven are yours. That's the indicative. That is what is true. Therefore, go and live your life as a response to the grace you have received. That is the imperative. So if these things are true in your life, really because these things are true, then here is how you should live. In verse 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what do these mean? Well, there, there are four things listed, but I think they're really speaking of a singular attitude. Now, two of them are really similar. First is same mind, and fourth is one mind. Um, they're both from the same Greek verb, phroneo. What does it mean to have one mind or the same mind? Like, is Paul saying we all need to think the exact same way? We need to all like the same foods. We need to all have the same opinions. We need to all vote the same. We need to all educate our kids the same way. We need to all agree that the Dallas Cowboys are the worst, most evil team in the history of football. No, that isn't what he's saying. I mean, the Cowboys thing is true. But... This word speaks more to a way of thinking. It's an attitude or a demeanor. That's why he, he also says, have the same love. He's not saying we all need to love the same things. He wants our lives characterized by the same type of love. He says as well, be in full accord or agreement. I mean, all these point to a unity of spirit characterized by the same loving attitude. And one clue that that fleshes that out a little is found if we jump down to verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that word mind, it's the same word, comes from phroneo, um, that he used earlier, one, one mind, same mind. So Paul is saying we should all have the same way of thinking or the same attitude that Christ demonstrated, which he then explains in verses 6 to 8. And these are verses about the humility of Christ. So it is unity through mutually modeling 
the humility of Jesus in our lives. So he explains this humility in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Well, what is humility? How should we define it? Well, first let me say what it is not. Um, It is not false humility. You know, false humility is is when we, we speak in a humble way, but only because we're trying to make ourselves look good by the appearance of humility. When we have false humility, we're often actually trying to manipulate others into praising us. Do you know the term humble brag? Have you heard that? Uh, it's a newer word. It's actually in the dictionary. You know, they keep adding new words in the dictionary. It says, to make a seemingly modest, self-critical, or casual statement or reference that is meant to draw attention to one's admirable or impressive qualities or achievements. So it's like when you post on Facebook, say, oh, feeling lazy today, ran six miles, it took me 35 minutes. Now, I didn't check all of your Facebook posts. I hope none of you posted that recently. I apologize if you did. So when you have a job interview and you go in and they say, well, tell us, what, what are you, what's your biggest weakness? And you say, oh, well, I, people say I just, I work too hard and I care too much and I'm a perfectionist. There's a movie um, called the, the, the Joy Luck Club. It's based on a, on a novel of the same name by a woman named Amy Tan, a Chinese-American author. It's about four Chinese women who emigrated to uh, America and their daughters. Um, and it, it, it shows the interactions of these, these two cultures, of these, um, you know, these first-generation um, uh, Chinese ladies and their second-generation daughters and how, how they're... Um, uh, you know, kind of differences in that, in that culture. And for us as missionaries in Japan, we sometimes have similar experiences with the kind of the Western culture and the Eastern culture interacting. One of the daughters is, um, she's narrating in the story, and, and she, she brings her white boyfriend um, to her parents' home for dinner. And it's this very awkward scene. Um, he's, he's trying to use chopsticks, and he can't do it. He, like, drops his food on his tie, and... Um, then he accidentally insults her mother's cooking. See, the mother is an excellent cook, and, and she brings her most special dish to the table. And the, the daughter explains in the story, my mother always insults her own cooking, but only the dishes she serves with special pride. And so the mother brings this food, and she says, oh, it's, it's not salty enough. It has no flavor. Uh, it's, it's too bad to eat, but oh, uh, please try it. And the daughter explains, this was our cue to eat some and to proclaim it was the best she'd ever made. But so he tries it, and and then he says, oh, you know, all it needs is a little soy sauce, and he dumps soy sauce all over (laughs) the thing. And everyone gasps in horror, you know? See, the mom is saying her food is, is so bad but actually, she's really proud of it. Um, she's, she's saying it's bad so that other people will, will, will praise it. It's a false humility. It, it's actually a form of selfish ambition, fishing for compliments and, and trying to use other people 
to build yourself up. So humility, it's also not self-loathing. It's not about hating yourself. You know, sometimes people develop really terrible and unhealthy views of themselves. I think we can all struggle with this inner voice that says, you're worthless. No one loves you. And this is not what Paul is saying or what God wants for us. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we aren't supposed to think too high. That would be prideful. But we also shouldn't fall into the trap of despising ourselves. We're to think of ourselves with sober judgment. That means rightly recognizing good things about ourselves. We are made in God's image. If we hate God's image, we're really hating God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has given you talents and gifts to use for His glory. You are loved by God, and you are deserving of being loved by those around you. Of course, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We all have things about ourselves we don't like and we want to change, and that is okay. But being humble doesn't mean hating yourself. So what, what is humility? When verse 3 says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In 4, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So humility includes elevating the needs of others um, above our own needs. C.S. Lewis said once, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Right? He means humility, it's not just like thinking bad things about yourself. It means spending less time being self-focused, thinking about yourself and and your own benefit. Not being self-focused, but being other people-focused. Tim Keller said, uh, if we met a truly humble person, the thing we would notice is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. I have a, a confession. Um, I am terrible at remembering names. Um, this is great, like name tag Sunday. Um, it always helps me in my church just because I... There's always people that I'm like, I should know your name, I've met you, I can't remember it. It was good that Kyle kept introducing himself to me over and over again. You can imagine how hard this is in Japan, uh, trying to learn names that are so foreign to me. Uh, But it's hard just with English names as well. And I think it's because I'm a selfish person. Because when I meet someone, I'm often thinking about myself. I'm thinking things like, I wonder if this person has something to offer me. Are they worth my time? I think about how, how to get what I want from people. I'm thinking, 
Oh, if I say this, how will it be perceived? If I look like this, what will people think of me? How can I get people to laugh at my jokes, but not laugh at, at, at me? Sometimes I don't listen to what people are saying because I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next because I want to express my opinions. I want to um, win arguments. I want to impress people. But God calls us to this humility, right? So first five... uh, transitions to the next section. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that introduces verses 6 through 11, which we sometimes refer to as the Philippian hymn. It appears to be a set, uh, possibly a confession, uh, or possibly the text of a hymn that Paul is quoting, and he inserts into this section of his letter. Um, It may be one of the earliest songs ever written about Jesus. And so starting in in 6, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the first half of this hymn or confession. And it, it describes Christ's humility. He was in the form of God, but he, he took the form of a servant and of a human being. And he humbled himself by submitting to death, even the horrible death of the cross. Notice it says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, I, I know that we are all different We struggle in different ways, but I also know that every person here has a problem with humility. Because the natural bent of the human heart is toward self-centeredness. Pride has been the sin of humans from the very beginning, right? Think about in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, when Satan tempted Eve, he tempted her, um, appealing to her pride. Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the ultimate act of pride, wanting to be like God, to be equal with God. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but that is the very thing that Eve sought and that we too cannot help but grasp at. The first commandment tells us, you shall have no other God before me. But every one of us, when we choose to sin, is saying, not what you want, God, I will do what I want to do. In our sin, we don't care about God, and we don't care about others. We make ourselves the center of all things. 
And this selfishness leads to ruptured relationships, conflict, and sorrow. But compare that to Jesus. Adam and Eve grasped at equality with God, but Jesus let go of it. Jesus did not live for his own gain. He lived for our gain. He came not to be served, but to serve. He became like us in order to reach us. The king of life suffered the humiliation of death because he didn't care only about himself. He cared about us. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this. They lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did not exalt himself. He laid down his life. And after Christ's humiliation, God rewards him with exaltation. This is the second half of the Philippian hymn, 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice that the final state is one of unity. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Paul says his joy is complete when he sees the church united in humility. That is exactly what God is promising. Every person united in humbling themselves before Jesus. He's saying that there will come a day when every person will assume the same humble position before the throne. When our sin and our self-centeredness will be no more and we will joyfully exalt Jesus together. Why does Paul feel joy when he sees Christian unity and humility? It's because it tastes like heaven. It's the, it's the aroma of heaven. And in this world today that is so fractured and selfish and even hateful, we as the church want to be a place of unity and humility and joy. As I said before, my prayer for us is that we would feel that same joy, that we would react as Paul does, rejoicing in Christian unity and humility, that we would be promoters of it as well through our own lives. We close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are selfish. God, we grasp at at being God, just as our mother Eve did. We do not want to submit. We want to serve our own needs and our selfishness. And so often we do not care for those around us. God, would you help us to change? Lord, as we we see 
Christ's sacrifice, as we experience the forgiveness that was bought for us through that sacrifice, may that be transformative to us. And God, would you give us um, a taste for heaven so that we would rejoice when we see the unity of God's people, that we would be people who, uh, who are humble and are creators and builders up of that unity around us. God, I pray that for myself. I pray that for each of us. And I pray that for this church, that the aroma of heaven um, will be wafting up from this place. We pray this in Jesus' name.